result we predicted but not the result we wanted obviously the Bengals go down in OT on Sunday 26 to 23 uh to the San Francisco 49ers welcome back uh this is I think this is episode 26 now uh I'm Jack that's Alec how are you doing this morning um I'm doing a lot better uh today but I'm not going to lie. I was very upset. on. I was really, really upset on Sunday. And I don't think the word upset does it justice. I was kind of salty. I don't know. Usually I don't get too salty. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I was really, really upset, especially, you know, this is the second week in a row where they've gone down by a lot, come back, and then just ripped our hearts out. Like, I'd rather just lose 20 to 6 then have them come back, take the lead, shoot themselves in the foot again on the third and three, and then lose that way. Yeah, it was it was a day of of just utter frustration. Um, you know, I mean, just to start even, uh, you know, I so I was at the Browns game on Sunday, so I missed probably the first six seven minutes of the Bengals game. Um, great time at the Browns game, by the way, uh, and a very needed win that that helped the Bengals stay in the AFC North. Yes. Um, but the first kind of play I remember seeing once I got back to where I was staying and, and got the TV on the Bengals game was uh, the Bengals are going to get the ball back down 10 to six with about two minutes left in the second quarter. And we have seen all season, we have seen all season how – the Bengals have gone on these, uh, thrown the deep go route to Jamar Chase with two minutes left, and that sparks the offense, and then boom, kind of in the second half they take off. And sort of felt like that was going to happen in this case. And then Darius Phillips muffs his second putt of the game. I cannot tell you. I, I really, for the life of me, um, you know, some Bengals beat writers were tweeting that, Darius Phillips was on, or was already on thin ice with the coaching staff. And I don't understand for the life of me how he's still on the team. I, I, I really can't understand it. I, I, I don't understand. Because what does he add? He, he, he can't play corner. 
Yeah, they, they, they don't play him at corner unless they are so depleted by injury that they have to. Yeah. Um, and it would seem like even after just one fumble, you would say, okay, let's put Trent Irwin back there in a game of this magnitude. Um, well, also, yeah, and another thing is, is that – wait, was Trent Irwin active on Sunday? Yeah. What else is he doing? Other than you know covering punts and you know and, and and on kickoff and stuff like that, I mean he's not doing anything. And also you got to think there was no wind. Like the wind wasn't crazy. It's not like they were at Lambeau, you know, in Green Bay or you know somewhere where the wind's crazy. It, there there was no wind. It, it looked like it looked like you know me trying to trying to go out there and catch a punt. I mean I think even I could have done a little better than that. It, it, it is absolutely preposterous when you think about all of the chances the Bengals had in this game. And the 49ers did little to nothing to actually stop the Bengals. It was the Bengals stopping themselves every single time. And the two muffed punts are just two instances of that. You've got a dropped pick six by Jesse Bates that if he catches that, they win, they win that game. Um, you've got the horrendous, which we can get into in a second, the horrendous play calling in overtime to play for the field goal instead of the touchdown. Uh, you've got drops from Jamar Chase. Despite the fact that he had a very good game, you still have drops. Um, and then something that you can't control, you've got Trey Hendrickson going down. Uh, and you've got Riley Reeve coming out of the game. Yeah, the, the, the fact that, <laughs> again, I'm going to say this again, I said this last week, Isaiah Prince is spoon-fed to us as an offensive tackle in the NFL is ridiculous. And I, I get think- it. I get it. He was going up against Nick Bosa. I get it. But, I mean, this O-line gave up five sacks again. I mean, this is getting to the point where it's bad. Yeah, we, we, I, I think that um, we kind of said it last week, but it bears repeating. The offensive line is still a big need for this team. Um, you know, left guard, left tackle. I, I, we all know that Quentin Spain um, and Riley Reef, or not Riley, Jonah Williams can play to a high level and stay at that level for the most part. They both had bad games Sunday. That's fine. It is – it is the complex of center right guard that is just killing the Bengals right now, because even when Riley reef is playing the fact that he has to sh- slide over and chip on one of identity's guys or identity has to slide over and chip on one of Hopkins guys, it makes your offensive line so much more inefficient. And it feels like the Bengals lead the league in free runners right in Joe Burrow's face. Well, and also it doesn't help that, you know, Gio's gone, the best blocking running back. And the second best blocking running back is, I mean, probably Chris Evans. And, and, and he's hurt right now. So you're asking Joe Mixon or Samaj P. Ryan to block a linebacker. It's not going to happen. Joe Mixon's a top seven running back in the NFL. Top six, top seven running back in the NFL. He, he, he runs well and he catches the ball well. He can't block worth a damn. And that's fine. That's not his job. That's not his job. He can't. Cons- I mean, he might be able to for a couple of plays, but he can't consistently do it. And, yeah. and they keep and, and they keep relying on that, and, and it's just not working. 
No, it's it's definitely not working. And and to be perfectly honest, I don't know exactly what the answer is this the rest of this season. Um, the good news, I guess, is while they got Denver this week, Baltimore's pass rush is very very average right now, uh, and Kansas City's is maybe a little bit above average. Chris Jones will pose some problems. The Browns game is going to be a nightmare. I've already prepared myself for Miles Garrett getting like five sacks. So uh, long story short, it, it I think the last two weeks especially has exposed the fact that while we wanted to be on this train of, oh, my God, the Bengals are this team that's headed into 2022 with virtually no needs, they can kind of just upgrade positions in the draft. They don't have to draft for need. They still have to draft for need. Yeah, and they still have to draft for need. I think, you know, I've been mad at Jesse Bates all year, but that pick six uh, that he dropped, I have not been more angry at one singular play other than the Evan McPherson doink in OT um, in a long time. If if you want to be the highest paid safety in the NFL, you catch the damn ball. I I don't understand it. If you want to get paid 16 mil a year and you want to be a difference maker, first of all, you don't miss tackles like you've been missing. Second, you make that play. It's as simple as that. If you want to be the highest paid safety in all of football, you catch that ball. I don't even care if he scores. I don't know if he scores. We don't know, but you catch that ball. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Overall, I would say Jesse Bates had a, had a pretty solid game on Sunday um you know obviously the drop pick six is what we're going to look at and you know it's not all on him but um a lot of the George Kittle stuff just scheming up the safeties really there's nothing you can do about it and he's a generational talent at the tight end position but the play that I don't think is going to get talked about enough maybe it is getting talked about enough maybe it's not um one good and one bad the bad first Von Bell, I get, I get that. Uh, I don't think. I think it came out that what he pointed at the O lineman and said was, "You almost hit me." So maybe it shouldn't be a taunting call. But with the way they're calling things now, you have to be way more aware in that situation than to know to point at the guy after the play is over. Yeah, yeah. It's not. I don't think it's really about what he said. I think it was the gesture, because I'm sure you know the. A ref could throw a flag from 20 yards away. He probably can't hear what you're saying. He's just assuming that you're pointing at him, so you're saying something that's, you know, trash talk or, you know, demeaning yeah. or whatever. And, Which and for the record, I think that taunting rule is the dumbest thing that is – Oh, I was about to say, it, it, is, it is the softest, softest rule. It, here's my thing. If you can't stop – but if you can't stop somebody, like say somebody gets a sack or something on a third down – if you can't stop them, they have every right to talk to you. It's not like they're like, you know, talking about, I mean, they just made a great play in an NFL game. I don't understand the problem with them celebrating and I get it. It's, I, I just don't understand the divide. It's all like the old people in NFL that say it's disrespectful to the game, but the casual fan does not care at all. Even if it's against your team, nobody cares. No, it, it's, and it's ridiculous just how subjective it is with the refs. It's just like such – it just screams like a Tom Coughlin idea or like a – I'm trying to think who – I mean, I feel it like – It was the Giants owner that came up with it, which is like no wonder. They stink. 
I wouldn't want anybody taunting my guys. Well, it's because Daniel Jones is fragile anyway, so they can't have guys. It's it's a preposterous rule. I will say though, I find it very, very, very interesting that you know, you know who was the officiating crew in that game on Sunday? Hmm. It was that Craig Rolstad guy. You know what other Bengals game he officiated this season? Which game? I don't know. The Jets. Oh dear God. You wonder, you wonder if there's any correlation between the Mike Hilton targeting call and not only the Von Bell taunting call, but the missed taunting calls the rest of the game on 49ers players who got right up in our guy's face. It was ridiculous. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. It's not an excuse for what happened on Sunday because the Bengals, for lack of a better term, pissed this game away on their own. Um, and and well, now is where I kind of want to flip to the Joe Burrow talk. Um, first of all, he played phenomenal on Sunday. Yeah, no, he did. 348, two touchdowns. A QBR of 54.1 is nothing to scoff at and a, a passer rating of 125.6. But more than that, there were six or seven throws in the fourth quarter alone where you were just like, Oh my God, this is exactly why we drafted this guy. Yeah, well, it's exactly why we drafted him. How about this? Um, hey, Zach Taylor, let's use that in the first three quarters. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, and even our, so even if some of our friends were saying that aren't Bengals fans, were saying, why are the Bengals playing so conservative? And that's a great question. The 49ers had four healthy cornerbacks, and their top like three cornerbacks were injured. Really, it was three and a half because Ambry Thomas out of Michigan is worth probably maybe even less than a half of an NFL player. All right, they had three and a quarter. They had three and a quarter healthy cornerbacks. They basically had two Darius Phillips out there and then two NFL backups. And we weren't throwing. It was blowing my mind. I'm done. I'm done. With the run on first and second down, it's third and five. We get sacked. I'm, I'm the, done with it. The Bengals are – I think I saw a stat yesterday. The Bengals are top five. They might be first in EPA drop back – or in when they run a pass play on first down, they're number one – they're in the top five or they're number one in EPA per play. And they are tied for the least amount of first down passing plays in the NFL. <laughs> I, I, I get it trying to establish the run, but the 49ers front seven is way better than our O-line. Way, I'm talking way better. And also Fred Warner got hurt, their star linebacker. He got hurt. So I don't understand. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I really I just don't understand. It, it, it is a perplexing, absolutely perplexing game plan for for several reasons one like you said um the fact that the 49ers front seven is the strength of their defense especially on a day where they only have a certain amount of healthy guys in their secondary but two (coughs) even to my eye it was so obvious that the 49ers were daring the Bengals to beat them over the top and if I'm Zach Taylor after running Mixon a few times, and on the day, by the way, Mixon averaged 3.2 yards a carry, which is paltry compared to where he's been all season. 
After doing that a few times, you would think that that, that Zach Taylor, being this offensive guru, guru that he is, would maybe incorporate some jet motion or anything to get these linebackers out of the box and maybe try running it that way. But no, we're just going to line up and we're going to run it off tackle for the sixth time on this drive, and we're going to get two yards. We're going to put ourselves in second and eight. We're probably going to throw an incompletion. Then it's going to be third and eight. Then we punt the ball back. Yeah, this game was really frustrating to watch for the first three and a half quarters. And even in the fourth quarter, it was frustrating because you knew they were going to break your heart. I mean, we're so used to it. People, uh, we're so, I, I feel like you and I are so negative about the Bengals and people don't understand when we are, we're negative. But the reason we're negative is because this stuff happens every week. We, we just don't want to get our hearts shattered for the millionth time. So I mean, what we're saying is we're just preparing ourselves mentally for the letdown that is inevitably coming. I mean, to be honest, I, this is like th- what we're in with the Bengals is could be considered an abusive relationship. Ah. They give us hope for two weeks and then they shatter our hearts for a month. I mean, it, it, it's just – Sunday was really tough. And I want to talk about the damn I, – uh, I don't even want to say it out loud. The OT play calling. Uh, first and 10 was on the 26th. You, you have three nice passes in a row. You get away with, okay, the, the Joe Burrow throw down the sideline was almost a strip sack. I'm talking within inches of a strip sack. You get out of that. CJ Uzama has a big catch. T. Higgins has a big catch. And then you run the ball two times in a row. And Zach Taylor was saying in his press conference that they were playing too high, which means they're playing two safeties deep. And he liked the run look against him. Hey, I don't. I get that. But listen, you're taking the ball out of a dude's hands that's thrown two touchdowns in six minutes, probably thrown for 160 yards and you know, in like in six, seven minutes. And the and Joe Mixon's averaging three yards a carry. I, I I don't understand. So how about this? How about this? So Joe Burrow's quarterback rating in the first three quarters on Sunday was 33, which is, you know, a little below where he usually is. He's usually in the 40s or 50s, whatever. In the fourth quarter, his quarterback rating was 83. Listen to this. He got – we remember this. He got the ball at his own 13 with 240 left, down seven. And from that point until when the Bengals kicked the field goal in overtime, listen to some of these throws that he had and some of these games that he had. So he had – he got Uzama for 12 yards. He had T. Higgins for 22 yards. Tyler Boyd for 29 yards on a scissors route – one of the most beautiful throws I've ever seen. Yes, that was a beautiful throw. Jamar Chase for 32 yards. T. Higgins for 26. C.J. Uzama for 23. Now, let's juxtapose that with the results they were getting from Joe Mixon. Uh, Joe Mixon, no gain. Joe Mixon, four yards. Joe Mixon, three yards. Also, I'm not mad at Joe Mixon. It, it's, not, it's not Joe Mixon's fault. The O-line was not blocking well. And I get that, but you have to know that. Why are you taking the ball to Joe Burrow's hands? I, I just don't understand. No, okay, here, here's the thing, though. I, I will give Zach Taylor this. I do understand running on first down. I do get that. I think everybody in the NFL understands running on first down because if you get five yards, it, it is it is the great 
uh, equalizer. Yeah, but, but I, what I, I don't understand is running on second down. It was so obvious that the 49ers were begging you not to throw the ball because their secondary is Stinks. garbage. Stinks. And, and they're tight. What, and they're what tight. did they do? Their safeties and linebackers couldn't guard C.J. Uzami either. Okay, so outside of the Joe Burrow scrambles, which he had two, the Bengals were 34 passes – or no, they were 39 – they were 41 dropbacks on Sunday to 24 runs, which is, you know – I mean, in a game – If you just look at that, you're saying, well, why are you guys complaining about Zach Taylor's play calling? It is the fact that – at the end of the game, when it matters most, when you need your best players to make plays to win you the game, you took the ball out of the one guy who got you to this point, and you said, no, we're going to lean on a patchwork O-line, still a work in progress, especially with Isaiah Prince at right tackle. We're going to lean on these guys, and we're going to try to run the ball to kick a field goal to win this game. I don't understand. So the play that the 49ers kept running was that little boot. And then George Kittle or Brandon Ayuk would like kind of slip out. Why? It works every time. Why don't we do something like that? I don't understand. I, I don't understand why we wouldn't do something like that. It just seems like it works every time. And I was getting so mad because the D end would have a decision to make. And obviously the D is not fast enough to get out to the flat to cover Brandon Ayuk. So he just, Try to tackle Jimmy G. And Brandon Ayuk, that's how he scored the game-winning touchdown. It's not, like, really that complicated. I mean, they kept doing it every time. Sam Hubbard in his press conference kept saying they ran the same plays all four quarters and overtime. I don't understand why we – I mean, the defense did play well in the second half. I mean, we got to give them that. The defense did play well. The defense played well in the second half, but they couldn't get a stop when they needed to get a stop. And and that's, that's really the problem. Um, and it looks like Trey Hendrickson should be back on Sunday, and we can kind of talk about the context of the AFC playoff race in a second. Um, I just want to say one more thing on the Joe Burrow uh, thing. When you have a quarterback that is number two in the NFL in yards per pass attempt, that is number four in the NFL in completion percentage, and so on and so forth, with all these stats that I'm looking at right here, third in the NFL in yards per pass completion, and you take the ball out of his hands to play for a field goal in a game you have to win, I don't know how you expect me to be any sort of okay with that. And the fact that Zach Taylor just kind of comes out and says, yeah, I I messed that up. Well, then why the hell were you not thinking of doing that in the moment? And it's not only on Zach Taylor, it's on the whole coaching staff. It's not like they don't have input. You know what I mean? It's everybody. It that's is. Where I, honestly, that's where I'd like to see, um, you know, kind of an ascension of Joe Burrow where he's like, Zach, I don't, I don't think we should do that or something like that. You know, they better be very careful these next couple of weeks because if similar things happen to what happened on Sunday, and I mean – the Bengals just making all sorts of mistakes around Joe Burrow. Uh, You could start to see a little bit of fracturing in the 
culture and in the foundation of that locker room because for a guy that is as prideful as competitive and is as win at all costs as Joe Burrow is it appears that right now we are getting the exact opposite of that from the coaching staff and there are several pieces of evidence to support that claim one sending Darius Phillips back out there to return a second punt (laughs) after he absolutely bungled the first one his feet, he almost fell. It almost hit him in the face. Like, it almost I don't it understand why he's allowed back out there. I, well, I said this. I, I was watching the game um, and by myself. I mean, and I said Darius Phillips should be cut at halftime and not allowed back on the sideline. That's what I said. It's not all on Darius Phillips, but uh, I mean, the, the first one was so bad that he should not have been allowed back out there. Technically, though, lost by three in overtime. the the muff The muffed kicks gave them ten points. Yep. So, technically, it is on Darius Phillips, but um, sorry, keep going with your claims. Yeah, and and, and taunting and penalties and and not being prepared in general is all on coaching. And, you know, Sunday was an epic failure in a lot of ways, but I think mostly it was an epic failure on Zach Taylor, especially for not having his guys ready to go uh, against a game that they had to win. Well, the last two games, um, I think, you know, I was, I was in on Zach Taylor. I'm just scared if they get a new guy in, that's going to take a couple years to get their culture back. They're not getting a new guy in because I will say this. um, I think that these last four games would have to go so sideways to the point where they're losing by 15 in every game and looking non-competitive for there to be any thought of a coaching change. And you know what? And we can shift this now to the, the playoff conversation that is the AFC. Right now, the losses in the last two games have essentially made this Bengals team division winners or bust. Yeah, no, I I agree. I agree. It's division winner or bust because – They're not uh, making a wild card spot. Well, here's the thing. We talked about this before, man. They could make the wild card with a lot of help, but I don't – the help – when you're asking for help in the NFL, it never comes. And so – the path to winning the division is <laughs> it's right there, right in front of them. Excuse me for a second. I got to cough. It's not COVID. You know, it, no, you're right though. It, it, it is right there. Um, if you beat uh, Baltimore and you beat Cleveland, you're it, it, well, okay. Here's the thing. You have to win three out of four. You either have to beat. The, no, you do. You I don't think, you, I don't think you do because, because I, I think that, if the Browns, so the Browns are probably going to win this weekend. They got the Raiders, and then they're losing to the Packers. Well, and then all, even they, if they beat the Steelers, even if they beat the Steelers, they go into that last game at nine and seven. If the Bengals, even if they lose to Denver on Sunday, if they beat the Ravens and lose to the Chiefs, they will be eight and eight going into that last game. The Bengals, if they beat Cleveland in that last game, would have the tiebreaker because of a better record within the division. They'd be five and one. So they would win the division. Last note on that is 
I don't see Baltimore winning any more than one game down the stretch. So I think they're out. I think it's Bengals and Browns. <laughs> um, Ravens play Packers this week. Packers, Bengals, Rams, Steelers. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, it's the NFL, so you never know. But it looks like Lamar's going to play this week. Um, I don't know why he got carded. That was a weird, a weird vibe from Lamar last weekend. Because it didn't seem like he was that hurt. You know what I mean? No, it didn't. Um, updated odds to win the AFC North. This is kind of surprising to me. The Ravens are plus 165. The Browns are plus 175. So clearly Vegas yeah. thinking it's probably one of those two teams. Bengals are plus 260. The Steelers are plus 1,100. Okay. Honestly, hear me out. That Steelers bet actually would be a pretty good value. I don't think so. They got they got Tennessee this week, Kansas City next week, and then they got Cleveland and Baltimore. Right. I guess you're right. So I guess they're out because they're going to lose. They're definitely losing to Kansas City. Yeah. And I think, you know, this sucks. I wish the Bengals could have played Kansas City early. Kansas City's rolling right now. So I'm, I'm basically already counted that as a loss. I mean, if we're being honest. Yeah. It's it, – it's, I think the more and more I look at it, the more and more I kind of go through scenarios um, – and, and I still do think the Bengals, and we'll talk about the Broncos later this week and how much this game now means for the Bengals. Um, even with a loss this week, everything is still in front of them. That being said, if they want any hope at a wild card or if they want any hope in having the division locked up before they go to Cleveland week 18, winning against Denver goes a long ways towards doing that. Uh, yeah, and I think it's, uh, you know, we've said this before. I think it's a really winnable game. I really do. I think they actually match up well with the Broncos. I really do. Because they stopped the run last week from San Francisco, who's – I get it, Elijah Mitchell didn't play. But let's not act like Jeff Wilson hasn't balled out on teams in the past. And, I mean, and, it, and we've talked – I mean, you or I could run behind Kyle Shanahan's schemes and probably get four yards. So, it's like they did a really good job with that. Um Denver doesn't have too many weapons that'll just, you know, you know, cause too many problems. And I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is that good. So it is a it is a big game for them on Sunday. And we'll be back later in the week to preview it. But um in general, things went about as well as they could have on Sunday for the Bengals without them winning. And by that I mean the Browns beating the Ravens was huge because That's- both of those teams are extremely flawed. And despite the fact, despite the fact that the Bengals have absolutely shot themselves in the foot these last two weeks, I still think they're the best team in the division. Um, at, okay. So if you put every, so here's the thing, the Bengals are so volatile that, you know, at their lowest, they're probably the worst. Um, but at their best they're I think they're definitely the best team in the division. Um. And right now they're the healthiest team and right now they are playing the most consistent offensive football in the division. Yeah, no, I agree. And here's my thing from here on out, you have, first of all, you're, we talked about this before a little bit, you're kind of playing with house money anyway, because nobody thought you'd be here. Um, and even your fan base that they're frustrated now because of the seven and four, but really realistically, if you had told me seven and six, Going into week 15 at the beginning of the year with the chance to win the division, I would have been happy with that. 
And now I get the way things unfolded and the way they lost these games. It's not okay. But, you know, big picture, looking back, I wouldn't be mad. And I want to see something where they just come out and just unload everything they have these last four weeks, whether they go two and two, one and three. I just don't want any conservativeness. I, it, it needs to end. I, I'm sick and tired. Just let Joe Burrow cook and see what happens. I yeah. want to see. That. Yeah. I, I think it's time to see sort of that opening up of the playbook. Um, however, this week, I don't know if we're going to see that because the Denver defense is very good, but that is for later this week. Um, And yeah, that's about all I want to say about the 49ers. Um, A quick trivia question for you. So Sunday, both Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon crossed the 1000 yard threshold at their respective positions for the season. There have been only four rookie receivers who have ever done, who have ever had over a thousand receiving yards and 10 touchdowns in their rookie season. Yeah. Do you know who those four other receivers are? Randy Moss. Um, Justin Jefferson. I actually don't think Justin Jefferson was one of them. Okay. I know he had a thousand. I don't, maybe he didn't have 10 touchdowns. Um, Okay, can you give me like some some era or like a like a like a year or something? Um, oh, what? Two, two of them were um, recent. Like uh, one of them was I think twenty thirteen. The other one was twenty fourteen. Okay, one more thing. Can you just give me a division? So one of them is in NFC East. The other one was in the NFC South. Okay, Julio's one. Nope. Oh my god. Um. Hmm. Not Michael Thomas. That's a good question. I don't know. Tell me. It is Randy Moss. Okay. Odell Beckham Jr. No way. I didn't know he had ten tutties. Mike Evans. Okay, okay. And the fourth that. is a name that I have never heard of. Uh, John Jefferson. He okay. played for the San Diego Chargers uh, in the early 80s. Okay. So I think it's very – I think it's a hard question because 1,000 yards is doable, but the 10 touchdowns plus the 1,000 yards is, you know, rare. Um, so – I mean, just ask Julio Jones. I think he's had over 10 touchdowns like once in his career, and he's like arguably a top five receiver ever. Yeah. So that about does it for this week or this episode. We'll be back later this week to preview what is a monumental game for the Bengals on Sunday in Denver. Um, Weather looks like it's going to be sublime, so hopefully that means no snow and clear skies, so – we can see Joe Burrow chuck it around um, a little bit. Um, I got nothing else. It's a really, really inopportune and tough loss. But regardless, we're still here and we're still cooking. Unlike Joe Burrow, because Zach Taylor won't let him. <laughs> um, that's all I got. You good? Yep. Who day? Who day? Who day? Who day? Who day? Who day?